to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 18, as we conclude our two-week series on forgiveness, Matthew 18. Question, how many of you remember driver's ed and what joy that was? Okay, just a few of you. Some of you like, this is one of the things that I would like to block out of my mind. It was a very traumatic period in your life. Uh, you remember looking over at your parents and you see like there's panic in their eyes, fear, Maybe they're wearing a helmet. You're just like, you've never seen them praying quite like this before, and, and now they are. And it was, it was a difficult time, right? Now, and I also know that some of you, like, you're in this stage right now, and we just want you to know that as a church, we are praying for you. And you're going to make it, right? It's difficult because driving isn't innate. It just isn't, like, natural. I mean, you've got to learn how to do these different things. Once you get the hang of it, you can make your way. But at, when you get started... It's, it's tough. And it's interesting, learning to drive is a lot like learning to forgive. It's not natural. It's foreign to human nature. And it is interesting that Jesus spoke so much about forgiveness, stories, parables. Even when he's teaching his disciples how to pray, he includes aspects and elements of how to forgive, which is probably what prompted Peter to ask the question that we find in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Now the rabbis taught that you really needed to only forgive someone about three times. I mean, if they hadn't got it after the third time, the fourth time, they, they're probably going to get it. You don't need to forgive them. So Jesus, realizing that, I mean, Peter realizing that Jesus seemed to take things to a whole new level, it's like, okay, well, Jesus would probably multiply this by two. I'm going to throw in an extra one for good measure. Up to seven times? Thinking like, well, Peter, don't, let's not get carried away here. And look what Jesus said. Verse 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. We don't know how good Peter was at math, but this probably exceeded his abilities at this point. And he's like, what is happening here? How many times is that? And what Jesus is saying, I want this to be a way of life for you. And he could see the amazement and puzzlement upon the faces of those who he's talking to. And so he gives them a parable a story, and right at the end, if you want to find out what he was driving at, you see it in verse 35 of Matthew 18. He says, My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. What Jesus wants us to do is not just to kind of, well, I kind of just gave a blanket forgiveness, and I said the word sorry, or I forgive you. But he wants it from the heart, genuine, real and as we're going through the gospel of uh, the book of Romans, you get to Romans chapter 12, verse 9. And remember, Paul makes this statement, we are to have a love that is without hypocrisy, that it is sincere, it is genuine. And then he goes on to say in Romans 12, 17 and 18, he says, never pay back evil to evil for anyone. Your respect is right in the sight of all men. And he says, if possible, so as if it's possible, so much as it's, Dependent upon you, I want you to what? I want you to be at peace with all men. 
How in the world can we do that? I'll tell you, it will never happen. You will not be at peace with all men. You will not be not returning evil for evil unless you learn how to forgive. That's why we're going to spend this week being very practical. By the time you walk out of these doors at the end of our service, I want you to have the tools not only to be able to forgive, but to be able to grant forgiveness. And friends, these are defining decisions in your life. If you do not or will not learn how to forgive, you are going to be a shell of what God is seeking to do in your life. Your relationships are at best going to be superficial, and you're going to try to tolerate people. On the other hand, if you want maturity, you want to experience the depth of Christ, you want to experience the power of the Spirit, it's all tied up with forgiveness. Many of you remember October 2nd, 2006, by the name of Charles Roberts, a delivery man, goes to an Amish schoolhouse where he'd been many times before. He dismissed all but ten young girls, and he proceeded to shoot them. Five of them died that day. Five of them survived before he took his own life. On the Saturday of, for the funeral of Charles Roberts, the man who did this horrific act, 75 people gathered for his burial. Over half of them were from the Amish community who had already reached out to the widow of Charles' wife with forgiveness and love. U.S. News and World Report, six months later, did an article on what, how was this community doing, these Amish people, six months later, after such a horrific act, and they simply titled it Moving On. And one of the things that they, they highlight is that this community stood together, supporting one another, and immediately extending forgiveness to the widows, or the widow of the shooter. In fact, it was seen as this is what actually got them through the difficulty. But how are we to do that? I know that when we speak about forgiveness, some of you have been hurt in terrible ways. I know because you've, you've told me about it. I'm like, it's, it's even difficult to hear some of the travesty that's been committed against you. Whether it be from a parent or an ex-spouse or a current spouse, a sibling, a supposed friend, a stranger, a teacher, a coach. How in the world are we to forgive? Especially because we don't want to forgive. We want to retain a sense of control. But I will tell you this, that healing, hope, maturity in Christ in your life can never take place apart from the practice of forgiveness. Many of you will know Cynthia Swindoll. She's the wife of Chuck Swindoll, a very famous pastor up there in Frisco. She's got a radio program. I was, I was paying my kids' bathroom a while back, and... I was listening to Insight for Living as I'm paying, and Chuck Swindoll says, I, I want you to hear part of my life's story. Now, that's interesting. I've met Cynthia Swindoll, but I didn't know any of this. Cynthia Swindoll had went through a very difficult depression, clinical depression. She was in a very dark valley for years. And she came to a realization that if she was ever going to emerge out of this darkness, she needed to forgive people that had hurt her in her life. She had significant hurts, but the most significant was her father. 
She talked about her dad, who actually tried to kill her mother by choking her. Let's go, because she passes out. She said, I, I need to forgive him for that. I need to forgive my dad when he asked my mom for a divorce when my mom was going through cancer. And then she talked about that her dad had a terrible temper and would beat her and her sister just terribly. She said, I, I needed to forgive him for these things. In fact, she, she said that forgiveness was essential for her to come out of her depression. But how is it possible to forgive? I know that this is an issue that I've wrestled with in my own life. I know that every one of you have been hurt significantly. So how do we forgive, as Jesus said, from the heart? Well, first of all, let's define forgiveness. Forgiveness is the loving and voluntarily cancellation of a debt, real or perceived, whether you've really been injured or perhaps sometimes you've been hurt, but it gets magnified in your mind, you know? But yet you still feel it. So how is it that we forgive? Forgiving is the ability to release someone where there are no longer barriers to a loving, honest, growing relationship. And you and I are hardwired for relationships. You know, we're made in the image of God. God is, God is triune in nature. He's relational in being. And we who are made in this image are made for relationships. Now, some of you need just a few relationships, and others need lots of relationships. But all significant relationships will have to exercise forgiveness at some point. The hallmark of a good marriage is that you actually practice the art of forgiveness. You'll always find that to be the case. In fact, the closer you are to a person, the more opportunities you will have to forgive. And may I say, if you're considering getting married, but the person that you're dating or courting just simply can't forgive you of past transgressions or present offenses, may I counsel you? Why don't you put the brakes on? I'd advise you, don't get married now or perhaps ever to that person, because if they can't forgive, you are going to be in for a really difficult life. It is going to be horrendous to be married to an individual who simply can't forgive. Hollywood, Hollywood says that you don't really need to do that. In fact, they, in 1970, some of you will remember this movie, it was called The Love Story. It's actually one of the top ten romantic movies. And with the love story, it had the theme, love means that you never have to say that you're sorry. Oh, isn't that so good? The problem is, it's not true. Actually, love means that you will have to say that you're sorry. So why is forgiveness so important? Well, let me give you a few reasons. One, forgiveness reflects God's character. You see, God seeks to demonstrate and manifest his character through his people. And probably the most profound way that that takes place is when you and I forgive. Just as we have been forgiven, so we forgive. Do you remember Jesus? When Jesus is actually crucified on the cross, we like to think that Jesus said very few words on the cross, but that's actually not correct. Luke chapter 23, verse 34 
It says Jesus was saying, which is an imperfect indicative, meaning he said this over and over in a past time. While he's on the cross, he kept saying this one statement. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Over and over again. How many people gathered around the cross, Roman soldiers, Jewish leadership, passerbys, folks just hanging out, trying to figure out what's going on? We're asking for forgiveness. Zero. And yet Jesus' Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Forgiveness reflects God's character. Forgiveness also releases us. When you and I, we choose not to forgive, it has some terrible effects on our body. Blood pressure rises. We can't sleep at night. We have heart issues. I mean, ulcers. All of this is attributed to a person that will not forgive. I don't know if you ever did this, but you, you make a fist, and you clench down as hard as you can. You know, like, if you do that for a minute, like, it's hard to actually even peel back your fingers. But if you did it for an hour or a day, like, your hand would start seizing up. It's painful. And if you did that, like, for a year or two or three, I mean, you can't even imagine, but, I mean, you would totally lose function of your hand. Do you know that? Same is true for your heart and your soul. When we will not forgive, we're going, ah, they made me so mad, they hurt me so bad, I am going to get back to them, and you just twist, and keep putting all that force and that pressure on there. It's going to contort your soul. You think that, I don't need to forgive them, but it's going to have an adverse effect on your life. It's going to twist you in places that you never thought you would ever be twisted to. Forgiveness releases us. It releases us physically, emotionally, and spiritually. When we forgive, we mature because we experience the likeness of Christ and Christ's power in our life working through us, and we mature because it's God at work in us. And so that's what we're called to do. We're called to forgive. It reflects God's character. It releases us. And let me also tell you this. It wreaks great blessing. Great blessing in your life personally because it helps you mature and become like Christ. And it's, it is so good to see Christ's likeness flowing through you. Your relationship with Jesus is changing you. But it also brings great blessing to the people you forgive. In fact, it can be liberating for them. And you're like, oh, wait a second here. They hurt me. Why would I want to be a blessing to the people that hurt me? Because God is at work in your life, and he seeks for you to be a blessing in others. Ernest Hemingway wrote a short story about a father and his teenage son that they had a rocky relationship. Things went bad. And you know how it is. I mean, there's no perfect parent. You kids need to know that. I know that you think you'll be a perfect parent, but you won't, okay? And as it would be, then the son, they had, he had some pretty serious issues. He rebels, like, I'm done with you, and he runs away. Well, the son, is, he's been rebellious. The father is trying to find him, looking all over, finding In a last-ditch effort, he's in Madrid, Spain, can't find his son Paco anywhere, he decides he's going to put an ad in the classifieds in the newspaper, and this is what he wrote. Dear Paco, meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. Well, next day, 12 o'clock, right there in front of the newspaper uh, building, guess what? 
there were 800 tacos that were gathered, all of them needing forgiveness, all of them needing the love of the Father. Friends, when we forgive, we reap great blessings in the lives of other people. There's some wonderful chapters in the Bible on how to live the Christian life, like Ephesians chapter 4 or Colossians chapter 3, that talk about that we are actually dead to our sin because we are now united with Christ, and that Christ lives through us. And in Colossians chapter 3, after this great discourse about who we really are, our identity in Christ, he talks about what does the Christ-like life look like being lived out through his people. And in verse 13, he says we're to be bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as Christ has forgiven you, so also should you. Just as Jesus has forgiven you, we are to forgive. So let me ask you to do this. Right where you're at, start writing down those things that Jesus did not forgive you of. It's interesting. No one's writing anything down. Why's that? Well, his forgiveness was all-inclusive. All of our sins. The smallest to the most heinous. He's forgiven us. That is his nature. And because it's his nature, he's seeking to infuse it into our lives. Now, what does forgiveness look like from God's perspective? What does that look like? Let me give you some key verses of the New Covenant. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12 and 10, 17. It's written down twice, so you and I will never forget this most glorious aspect of what it means to be in Christ. And he says in 8.12, For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Did you forget? So he writes again, 10.17. And their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Now, how is that possible? I mean, we just got done praying and extolling God for his, like, omniscience, that he knows all things. See, he knows that which is seen and that which is not seen. He knows your every thought, which is actually kind of a scary thought, right? When you consider some of our thoughts. He knows all these things. So how is it that he's not recalling them? Because you and I do, right? We have a way of recalling our sin. But God doesn't. How is that possible? Simply put, God chooses not to remember. You see, God never sees you and I in our sin. He actually sees us always in the Son. Theologically, He sees us always completely united in His Son to the degree that's why He eternally loves us, because He loves the Son eternally, and we are so united with Him. We are His forever, sealed, marked out, chosen, elected, all. We are His. He calls us beloved. He loves us forever. And God chooses not to see us in our sin. Now, C.S. Lewis pretty much nailed it. He said, you know, we all agree that forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it, right? We all think, like, yeah, forgiveness is great until, of course, we have to do it, right? That's where it gets a little more difficult. And I'll tell you, it's not a natural act. It's a supernatural one. 
It requires the presence and the power of Christ. It is an act of your will to demonstrate love, and it's not going to be based on your feelings. If you're waiting for, I'm just waiting for the feeling to come where I feel like I should forgive so-and-so. It may not happen. God is asking you to take him by faith. In Luke 17.4, when Luke records this incident where Peter asked about how often should I forgive, it's really interesting. 17.5, when the apostles heard Jesus' answer, they said this, Lord, increase our faith. What you're asking, and the hurt we've been through, we need more faith. They didn't say, give us faith. They already had faith. What they need is an increased amount. And what is faith, by the way? Faith is taking God at his word. That's what faith is. God, what you're asking us to do is more than we are presently able to do. Would you increase our faith? And so they ask. Forgiveness is really a faith issue. And God never asks us to do something he does not equip us or empower us to do. He never asks us to forgive apart from us ever having the strength in him to forgive it. He wants us to experience what it means to abide in Christ. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing, which pretty much explains why we have a lot of unforgiveness in marriages, families, communities, churches. Why? Because we're not living by faith. We're living by feelings. And so they say, Lord, would you increase You see, the fruit of forgiveness is rooted in our relationship with Christ. So what does it practically look like to ask for forgiveness? When you have wronged or injured someone, and who of us here hasn't done that, what does that look like? We're going to need to know how to do this. All relationships are going to have conflict. There's going to be breakdown. There's going to be plenty of opportunity for you and I to ask for forgiveness. So what does that look like? Well, I'm just going to share with you what it looks like in my home, in my marriage, with my kids. I want to tell you, I don't really like asking for forgiveness. And guess what? I'm usually the one that needs to do it, right? Surprise, surprise. It's me. And you guys need that, right? I don't like it. It's difficult. But let me just tell you what this looks like. Like, in my marriage. This is something that Craig and I have practiced our entire married life. First of all, you have to be willing to admit that you're wrong. And so you say, I was wrong. I should have. And then fill in the blank. Whatever you should have done. And then you have to be willing to say, I am sorry. That's a big word for some folks. I've never said that before. You can do it. Jesus will help you. And so you say, I am sorry. I did this, whatever it was. And I made you to feel. So you acknowledge not only the wrong that you did, but the effects that that wrong had. And then you have to be willing to repent. And you say, I know that I hurt you in this way, or I deeply hurt you, and I don't really want to do that again. You see, when you ask for forgiveness, it's not like you're saying, hey, I'm sorry about that. But you should expect a repeat performance tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? That's not really asking for forgiveness. You've got to be broken saying, What I did was not right, and I really plan on changing. And so you're willing to repent. 
I know I hurt you deeply. I don't want to wish to hurt you that way. And then you ask for forgiveness. Will you forgive me for whatever it is? Now, I gave you a script because sometimes it's good to have some track to run on. But it's the words and the intent. That's what it looks like. And so you, you ask for forgiveness. Then there is the granting of forgiveness. Okay? So, for instance, when you ask for forgiveness, you don't go, I'm sorry. Like that? Or, well, sorry. You know, like with that attitude? That's, that's not asking for forgiveness. Got to come from the heart. Got to be real. When you grant forgiveness, don't do this. If you've got someone that's genuinely asking for forgiveness, they're like, eh, don't worry about it. You know, blow it off. No, you engage. This is one of the more significant times in your life. You're becoming real. They're becoming real. God's at work. This is a sacred moment. So what does granting forgiveness look like? Well, you do it specifically. I forgive you for whatever it is. Be gracious. You know what? I've done things like that myself. And then forgive as God forgives. Choose not to remember. So, like for Karina and I, we just developed this pattern. So, here I am, I ask for forgiveness. You know, five or six days later, Karina kind of gets back to me, you know. No, I'm kidding. It's never, it's not like that. She thinks about it, and then she says, I forgive you for what you did. And then we have made this practice where we always kiss, and we hug, and we drop it. We have gotten so good at this, that I actually couldn't remember what the last time I forgave Karina for or whatever she may have done, and probably vice versa. It's been probably one of the best things for our marriage. And so I pass it on to you. Let me give you some wrong responses to this whole issue of forgiveness. A wrong response is to ignore the sin or to isolate yourself from the person that hurt you or to inflict some sort of pain on their life. That's wrong. And Really, we are pretty clever on how we try to do that. Or to just internalize the pain. These are all wrong responses. Now, what if what if the person that hurts you, though, isn't repentant? They're not like coming up to you and saying, Hey, will you forgive me? And I'll tell you, especially when it's a, a, another quote-unquote Christian, we're like, the Spirit of God convicts me. How is the Spirit of God not convicting you of what you did? How come you're not coming to me? What's going on here? In fact, how is it that you're just acting and everything's totally fine and you don't realize just how injurious your words or actions have been to me? What do you do about the person that's never approached you and probably never will? They're just oblivious or ignoring it or whatever. Self-centered? Well, let's go to Jesus, Mark 11 and 25. Jesus said this, when you, were, when you stand praying... Forgive. If you have anything against anyone, that's pretty all-inclusive, isn't it? So that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgression. Anything against anyone, forgive. Let this be your heart. Let me work through you. Now, you can't wait for someone to make the first move. We kind of think like, you hurt me, I'm waiting, show up. Fall on your knees and repent and ask forgiveness, those things, and I'll see how gracious I might be. No. You take the first move. After all, it seems like that's how Jesus did it anyway, right? He's extending forgiveness long before we were asking for it, right? 
The American public had a pretty tremendous scene of this displayed on national TV through a show called American Idol. There was a gospel singer by the name of Mendisa Hunley. I'm sure many of you are familiar with her. She was one of the 12 finalists on the TV show. And she was going to be meeting with the judges, Simon Cowell, Paula Abdul, and Randy Jackson. But what had happened earlier, recorded on TV, watched by everybody, is that Mandisa was slammed by Simon Cowell. He made this really cutting, sarcastic remark. Mandisa was kind of a heavyset woman. He said this, do we have a bigger stage this year? Mandisa received all sorts of feedback and emails on how she should shred him. I mean, rightfully so, right? That was super cruel. National TV. But she didn't. When she appeared on TV to find out if she was going to move on to the next round, she said this, Simon, a lot of people want me to say a lot of things to you. But this is what I want to say. Yes, you hurt me, and I cried, and it was painful. It really was. But I want you to know that I've forgiven you. And that you don't need someone to apologize in order to forgive somebody. And I figure that if Jesus could die so that all my wrongs could be forgiven, I can certainly extend the same grace to you. I just wanted you to know that. Randy Jackson said, Amen. Some cow. He was hit hard by that. He apologized, got up, and he hugged that singer. And Mandisa has gone on to have quite a music ministry. Friends, I know that forgiveness is hard. In fact, there is a high cost to unforgiveness. Linda Hunter tells the story of a woman struggling through a divorce. Listen to what this woman wrote. After my husband left, I rehearsed every detail of all he had done to break up our marriage. I could recount times, places, and details, and I did. But as I tried to move on, no matter what successes and new directions I found, I felt like I was tethered to a state from the past. I pulled to try to loosen its hold, all the while grasping onto the continuing affronts from my husband. While the past and present feelings restrained me, they did nothing to hold my husband back. It finally dawned on me. I had to forgive. Let go. It didn't happen in a day or a week or even a year. Instead, it is still happening every day as I make the decision to forgive. I realized that though the cost of forgiveness was high, the cost of unforgiveness for both me and my children was higher and exacted an even greater toll. I chose to forgive. Forgiveness is not, I will forgive but I will not forget. Clara Barton, the founder of American Red Cross, she was writing cards one day, and a friend of hers notes, you were writing a card to someone that really hurt you. What are you doing that for? Don't you remember what they did to you? And she said this, I distinctly remember forgetting. Forgiveness is rarely a one-time affair. The deeper the hurt, the more extensive the process. But, friends, it is a process you and I must engage in. Ronald Reagan, uh, remember that attempt on his life, 1981, John Hinckley attempted to assassinate him? Uh, Pretty horrific. Reagan forgave 
passed this on to his daughter, uh, this particular truth. And Patty Davis actually records this. She, she says, the following day, my father said he knew his physical healing was directly dependent on his ability to forgive John Hinckley. By showing me that forgiveness is the key to everything, including physical health and healing, he gave me an example of Christ-like thinking. Forgiveness isn't, well, all right, I'm going to bury the hatchet, but I'm going to keep the handle right out there on the ground so I can pick it up anytime I want. It's not remember the Alamo in your relationship. It's remember the Savior, right? And so if we want to keep our soul free from resentment and malice, you and I must take Jesus at his word and forgive. Now, I want you to know that some situations where you've got, it's complex. It's not a one-time event. We're talking like abuse that's gone on for years. Attitudes and actions that have just made your life hurtful and painful for a long season. At times, you're going to just need to extend a general blanket forgiveness. You're not going to be able to recount every single thing that has happened to you. It may not even help you to do so. Just say, God, help me to forgive and release these individuals. And I know some of you are really wrestling with this. Let me encourage you to forgive while you can. Because what, sometimes what happens is you're like, ah, I will not forgive. And then that person dies. And then all of a sudden, like, oh, I should have forgave them when I had an opportunity. You should have. And you, friends, have an opportunity to do that now. You see, the fruit of forgiveness is rooted in our relationship with Christ. And it's going to take faith, and God will give it. And just for a minute, get a vision of what that would look like or continue to look like in your life. That you're a magnanimous person, that you you forgive from the heart the people that have hurt you. You're going to have deep relationships. You're going to be looked at as a person of rather significance and maturity in Christ. Why? Because you are, because you are exercising one of the greatest gifts that you and I could ever exercise, and that is the ability to forgive. And I can tell you, this is happening in multiple fronts in our church. There are people that have forgiven some rather horrendous things, and they're moving on and moving forward in grace. The fruit of forgiveness is rooted in our relationship with Christ. Let me tell you a little bit about a gal by the name of Shannon Etheridge. When she was 16 years old, uh, she was driving to school. She apparently was putting some lip gloss on as she was making her way down the country road trying to get to school on time. She didn't see this elderly lady on her bike, and she literally ran her over. Horrendous event. Through this intense guilt that Shannon had, I mean, it cast her into a deep depression. And she even thought about taking her own life. She was that far grieved of what she had done. And her life may have been a total disaster had it not been for one man. The man was the husband of the lady who had died. Gary is his name. His wife, Marjorie, was apparently just one of those great women of God, a woman of prayer, a woman of the word, had, had such a strong testimony in their community. And Gary, a part
apart from pressing the criminal charges, she had charges against her, actually pleaded that the attorney drop all the charges, Yuri immediately embraced Shannon and, and forgave her and, and told her this, you can't let this ruin your life. And he went on to say, God wants to strengthen you through this. In fact, I am passing Marjorie's legacy on to you. Shannon Etheridge, for her, this became kind of the defining moment of her life. You'll probably recognize Shannon Etheridge, or certainly her books. She's gone on to become a best-selling author. She writes the books uh, Every Girl's Battle and Every Woman's Battle. And her book, Completely His, Loving Jesus Without Limits, to help women overcome guilt-ridden, wounded lives. Where did she learn that? She learned it from Gary a man who took Jesus at his word and put it into practice. I was reading about her this evening yesterday. Recent article in Christianity Today, she said, I gradually went from feeling to blame to feeling chosen because of this man. So friends, who do you need to forgive? Now? And are you ready to do it even tomorrow? See, the fruit of forgiveness is rooted in our relationship with Christ. Let's pray. Lord, as you have our full attention, and this is such a defining issue in our life, if we need to forgive someone now, Lord, in the quietness of this moment, would we do so before you? Lord, for the people who have come here today who have never trusted in Jesus, may know about him, may have been in church, but have never truly trusted him, and they want this kind of life. They have tasted and seen that the word is good. Well, they simply pray with me and say, Lord, I, I turn from self and sin, and I want the forgiveness that's found in Christ. I want to be this kind of person, and so would you be the Lord of my life. And Lord, for all of us, would you increase our faith, continue to shape us as the people you've intended, For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name.